A new era is unraveling before us, and conversation, data, and action are our only hope. Join us to learn together about the future of cities and how entrepreneurs are approaching our present-day challenges. The goal of this podcast is to unite real estate lovers, technology adopters, environment enthusiasts, and creative thinkers that are working toward achieving greater and fair collaboration for all. Come sit with us and discover how investing in these key initiatives improves our built environment, the public discourse, and climate change. We examine diverse issues through interviews and conversations where going off on a tangent is encouraged, hoping to help you become a more nuanced thinker and find comfort in data. Hi, everyone. This is Jamie Fradkin. And I'm Edward Cohen. And we're here for our 10th episode, a really wonderful milestone. And we have a fantastic interview together um, with our first one as Tangent co-hosts. And today we have the opportunity to talk to and learn from someone whose mission is squarely in the intersection of real estate and technology. Anish Malhotra is the founder and CEO of Plotify a digital platform that has transformed the arduous process of finding and investing in single-family rental homes into a few easy steps. Hi, Anish. Welcome to Tangent, and thank you so much for joining us. Where does this podcast find you? Uh, in New York. And, and hi, Jamie. Hi, Ed. Good to be with you both, and thank you for having me. Great to be here with you. <laughs> we really want to talk um, with you all about Plotify and what you're up to today. Um, but first, Maybe we'll get started with just your incredible career and uh, professional journey to kind of get there. You're a global entrepreneur and investor with roots in the UK and India and now the US. Um, in the last several years, you've launched market disrupting businesses in food, hospitality, and real estate that cater to customers um, around the world. So how did your experience leading up to Plotify inspire this concept? Uh, you know, actually, uh, I cut my teeth at, at the risk of giving away my age, um, back in the late 90s, uh, helping to build a business um, owned by Bloomberg LP, which I think is still one of the best fintech companies in the world. And back in the late 90s, early 2000s, the financial markets were moving to electronic forms of trading. And Bloomberg Tradebook was uh, and remains uh, at the forefront uh, of that uh, industry. Um, and was one of the original, what were then known as the electronic communication networks to facilitate uh, electronic trading. Uh, so I spent about seven years uh, helping to build that business. And, and, and that's where, you know, uh, my passion for digitizing uh, uh, businesses came from um, and never lost it. Uh, and then over the last couple of decades, I've actually been uh, investing in real estate, both personally and professionally. Um, and those investments have been across various different asset classes from residential through to commercial and, and more, and also across geographies, uh, the US, UK, UAE, and India in particular. But yeah, uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, Plotify uh, was really born because of my experience and frankly frustration with the fragmented nature of real estate uh, uh, transactions with layers and layers of friction. And it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fascinating just hearing how you come from the finance world, which was quite antiquated still by the you know late 90s, early 2000s. But uh, I'd love to hear how you, know, you thought you innovated and uh, revolutionized the way we worked with fintech and then you arrived to real estate and I, I'd like to hear how your reaction to it. Did you expect it to be more antiquated? Did you find it that it's just way more friction because of all the stakeholders involved in any 
even the most basic of real estate transactions? Yeah, uh, it's it's a it's a really interesting question. So, uh, I mean, if I think back to you know helping to digitize uh, an industry, um, an entire industry, the financial markets, one of the features of the products that were were being uh, digitized from a trading perspective is that they were all pretty much liquid in nature. So we were talking about stocks, bonds. Uh, commodities, foreign exchange, so so liquid products. Uh, real estate, on the other hand, is comparatively illiquid, uh, and it's a real heavy immovable asset, and that you know gives unique challenges, I think, versus um, assets that are liquid in nature and easily transferable. Um, so so there are definitely way more challenges in trying to create a similar. Uh, platform for real estate uh, versus um, uh, versus those other types of asset classes. Very, very interesting. And we're not going to get ahead of ourselves because we definitely want to talk about that, what does what that injection of liquidity will do to real estate uh, as we've, we're seeing some, uh, I mean, I don't know if I can call them fascinating, but we're seeing some game-changing moves happening in, in the financial markets and in the public markets, especially with the with the Robin Hoods and and the GameStop investors around the world, and uh, but yeah, let's not get ahead of ourselves. First, Plotify. So uh, you know the, the the vision for Plotify uh, again was born out of experience and and, and frustration, uh, and and even before liquidity, which is uh, you know a big topic of, uh, of conversation. How do you make illiquid assets uh, more accessible and more liquid? But even before that, my, my view on real estate investing, and in particular, uh, investing in small, fragmented assets, and, and Plotify concentrates right now, uh, as far as the US market is concerned, on single-family rentals, which, as the name implies, are typically standalone houses, uh, not part of uh, an apartment complex or, or multifamily uh, complex. Um, and those assets are typically small, fragmented and and therefore uh, if you want to build a portfolio or you have to do lots of little transactions and then you have to manage lots of little assets so even before we get to liquidity my view is that there are layers and layers of uh, of inefficiencies and uh, friction in, in both the process to acquire a single family rental but even more so after that to manage a single family rental well so Plotify, certainly we uh, have a structure which provides better liquidity for our customers when they, they want to exit, for example, or when they want to enter. But even before that, uh, what, we, what we've tried to do, or, or the challenge and the vision we set ourselves, is how do we make an entire single family rental? So let's say a house somewhere in the US, uh, let's pick Pittsburgh. That's one of the first markets that we, uh, we, we, uh, we invested in. How do we make a house in Pittsburgh instantaneously uh, investable to one investor? So uh, Plotify does not do um, fractional ownership. That, that's a whole different topic. And I have very specific views on that. But, um, but we, we, we wanted to make that entire house instantaneously transactable to our customer, not just uh, allowing them to purchase it, but purchase it with everything wrapped into it that they would ordinarily have to do themselves. So everything from making sure there's already a tenant uh, in the property, so it's generating cash flows, making sure there is a, a best of breed property manager for that asset, already managing physical aspects of the uh, the property, 
uh, making sure the requisite insurances are in place and it's tax optimized. And importantly, we also provide uh, point of sale mortgages uh, as well. So our customers don't have to buy the entire place for cash or go through a tedious uh, financing process. Mm -hmm. And then the second challenge was how do we make that same asset investable for uh, our customers anywhere in the world. So if Anish is sitting in in New York, um, you know, he can buy that asset. If we have a customer sitting in Hong Kong or Singapore, they can buy that asset in the same way. Love that. Love that. And then the final point related to that is uh, we don't just let go of our customer uh, there and say, you know, now you've got the asset, uh, off you go and, and manage it. W- one of the g- gaps that I found in my experience um, of years of investing is that there is nobody really that's using technology in particular uh, to provide an end-to-end uh, asset management service, right? So once you've bought the asset, that's where the pain really starts, right? So to buy well is one thing to manage well is is an entirely other thing so very important i like those two distinctions uh so first the the discovery the education and the investment of it the actual transaction but then that's only the beginning that's that's a very hard part but that's only the beginning of, of the of the real estate investor journey if you will yeah uh the management side is arguably even more painful because you probably thought oh yeah the pain is is gone i closed you know, title went through, everything went through, but um, it's fascinating. And we're certainly going to talk about the management side, which it's uh, impressive how you've really, you know, incorporating every single element uh, and not just, you know, taking one, one step at a time. So um, you, uh, in terms of, so there's a lot of, you know, the buzzword out there in, in the real estate tech investment industry is crowdfunding, which I know you are distinct from that. Crowdfunding, though, as a field, right, or as a as a way to democratize real estate investment, you know, was was first legalized through the Jobs Act of 2012 in the U.S., and and the industry has grown during its first decade to encompass an entire industry dedicating to attracting individual investors in uh, various forms. And th- this has been between securitizing real estate, selling those securities, or pulling investors' money together to co-invest uh, and the company co-invest with them. But you went with this uh, SPV, special purpose vehicle structure, one investor, one home. So can you tell us more, you know, tell us and our listeners a bit more uh, about uh, this different structure? Walk us through that uh, investment model, please. Yeah. So so the way uh, Plotify works, uh, which actually is not dissimilar to the way fractional platforms or crowdsourced funding for real estate works. Uh, and it's very simply that we uh, identify uh, an asset that we think is um, a good investment. Uh, and then we purchase that asset into an SPV, as you rightly pointed out. And that SPV Typically in the US is an LLC in in the UK where we also have gone live with uh, assets uh, offered to our customers. It's a slightly different corporate uh, structure, but the concept is that the asset lives in uh, a body corporate uh, or a company uh, as opposed to the title being held um, by an individual. And once that asset is in the the, the SPV, uh, the special purpose vehicle as, as we call it, it can then trade from investor to investor, or indeed multiple, multiple investors can, can buy and sell fractional uh, uh, holdings within that uh, that company. So uh, the, the, the structures are not dissimilar, 
philosophically, uh, you know, we went with the uh, one investor to an SPV, which owns one asset, because we believe that is already a, a huge um, addressable market. Uh, there are, you know, billions of dollars of transactions, uh, millions of trades you know, on assets in just the US and the UK alone each year uh, that are layered with friction. Um, and uh, we're approaching the opportunity by solving those points of friction first. And by the way, I should say that um, democratizing access to uh, asset-backed or, or real estate-backed uh, investing is good for uh, um, the world. Um, you know, financial inclusion and uh, diversification are needed. Um, and, uh, and, and I believe that fractional ownership in the future uh, will be big and relevant. Uh, we've stayed away from it thus far for the reason that I already stated, which we think the bigger opportunity is to address the, the whole and direct ownership, as we call it. And, and fractional, you know, to me, uh, still has one big drawback, and there are pros and cons to any structure. But the biggest drawback is the liquidity, going back to what we talked about earlier, the liquidity in, in the secondary market for fractional shares. Um, uh, it's difficult to exit unless a platform is going to guarantee buying buying back your, your shares. Uh, and that's a function of, uh, you know, these com- the fractional companies building distribution, uh, which will happen over time. Definitely. No, that's, that's a great point. And I, I, I hear you and cannot agree more that if we can allow more people to invest in property, invest in cash flow generating real estate, it, it's going to be a driver for, uh, you know, upward mobility, financial independence, financial freedom uh, for more. So that's noble mission. Kudos to you. Yep. On Tangent, instead of sponsored ads, we have Stimulus, where we dedicate a minute of airtime to amplify a small business or nonprofit that is making a difference in their cities. Have you ever thought about real estate investing as a path to financial freedom? Have you kicked around the idea but felt you were too busy with work and family responsibilities? If so, one rental at a time will transform your life just as it has transformed the life of real estate investor and author Michael Zuber and thousands of others. This book is not a get-rich-quick scheme or a how-to book. Instead, it reveals how buying and holding rental properties will create a second source of income that can, in time, allow you to quit your day job. Give yourself permission to get out of your head. What's stopping you? Go read or listen to Michael's book, One Rental at a Time, on Amazon. It can lead to a more stress-free financial independence. If you're more of a visual learner, you can visit his YouTube channel, One Rental at a Time, where Mike Zuber uploads original lessons on real estate investing every day. Links in the podcast description below. If you are a nonprofit leader or small business owner who would like your mission featured on our stimulus section, email us at tangentcommunity at gmail.com. And now back with our friend of Tangent. So we chatted about how Plotify, uh, you know, has transformed the transaction process, but also the property management. And as a tech first company, your value proposition is that your team hand selects properties based on a number of market factors. And on top of that applies data models that optimize for financial performance, uh, looking at historical data and even the expenses for each property. Um, So at a high level, walk us through how your team uses data science and machine learning to assess the the risk involved with these investments and also project out that volatility of expenses. Yeah. um, 
so let, let, let's let's uh, break it down a little bit. So when you invest in uh, any real estate asset, uh, actually, but uh, let, let's let's stick to single family rentals. Uh, when you invest in a single family rental, there are four uh, line items in your uh, P&L that uh, cause the volatility that you, you, you just talked about uh, in income. Two of those are losses of income if there are prolonged periods where there is no tenant uh, in the property, so you're not generating rental income. Um, the, the other one is if you have a delinquent tenant, uh, who's so tenant who's in the property and not paying rent. The other two are on the expense side, general repairs and maintenance and uh, capital expenditure, which is not paid for by insurance. And all four of those things tend to be lumpy in nature. And people that are not uh, generally professional investors in uh, real estate um, and have day jobs and and more interesting things to be doing with their time are notoriously bad at at projecting how those four items um, play out in, in any given point in time or any given year. But our experience over a couple of decades looking at these types of assets and indeed the assets that we're already managing over Plotify show some very clear data that we can use uh, to the benefit of uh, our customers. And that is that the, the lumpiness of those four items smooths out for a single asset over a longer period of time. So if you look at the life of an asset, let's say over 10 years, it's pretty predictable what the average percentage of your gross rent will uh, account for these four items. Similarly, if you take a one-year view, uh, it also smooths out uh, across a broader data set. So uh, lots of different assets. So if you've got 100 assets, that volatility also smooths out um, uh, in in any given year. So um, we've got a a very particular approach to to that. We use that data to predict uh, what we think the average uh, cost of those four items is going to be over the life cycle of an asset, let's say a 10-year horizon. Uh, and we charge the asset as we're managing it on behalf of our, our customers, that amount, uh, that percentage of their rent, and we put it into uh, a reserve fund uh, for them. And then we administer that reserve fund to um, pay for those expenses. And uh, we help our customers by contributing additional funding to that reserve fund to smooth out the volatility. So if they need uh, you know, more funds sooner uh, to pay for certain expenses, uh, we will fund those for our customers and then they can pay us back over time uh, using future contributions to, to that fund. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. And that's a, that's a challenge not only for, for the it is, uh, yeah. non-sophisticated yeah. investors, that's, that's a challenge across the board, I would say, in the, in the industry. And, you know, we... We are allergic. We hate uh, uncertainty. You know, we real estate investors, you know, we're in it a lot because of the predictiveness of it, the illiquidity, if you will, that allows for that. But uh, it's 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 inter- very interesting to hear how you're generating this economies of scale uh, and uh, empowering investors by integrating these tools and, you know, bridging that financing gap as well. As someone coming from an industry outside of real estate, I can say it's pretty rare to find something that's as predictable as that. You know, normally we're always trying to cluster and classify whether it's users or data points or something like that. So I think it's pretty telling. It, it builds a bit of trust between you and your customers when you can kind of say, we know what's what to expect and we kind of have your back. And, and we have big data to determine that. 
Yeah, no, absolutely, Jamie. You're 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 right, and I think it's one of the reasons why our customers have uh, certainly seen uh, value in in the investments they've made with us. I wanted to just just uh, respond to your question um, in full because there there is another uh, very important area. Data and machine learning is is important uh, as part of our product, and that is our our kind of backend acquisitions engine. So you're absolutely right. Uh, our standard product, uh, we have an investment team that selects assets that we think are, are good investments. The way we do that is that we have our own proprietary methodology of using several data points, uh, macro and uh, city and location specific, uh, to pick uh, the, the cities that we want to be investing in. But secondarily, and more importantly, uh, we also have developed our own risk matrix um, for individual assets. And we, we take into account over 90 data points, um, which, which are uh, you know lots of different line items in, in financial operating, location, asset metrics, um, using some of the data that we're building internally, uh, learning from, from the assets that we manage. Uh, a ton of historical data that we have access to and market-wide data that we're pulling in from various different fragmented sources. And, and that algorithm allows us to very quickly rank and score assets that are in our buy box. So uh, whilst there may be several hundred or even several thousand assets that meet our investment criteria and our buy box, they're not all the same. Uh, and our methodology allows us to very quickly score and rank them to to decide which ones we should be focused on. So, um, uh, so that's another uh, really critical use of uh, of data and machine learning in our engine at the back end. Very very interesting, and uh, to hear how you're like also bridging that uh, education gap from market to market, because like you correctly said, every property is different, every market is different. Even if you're focusing uh, entirely on an asset class, in this case, single family home rentals. Uh, that, that was that was a big challenge, like up until very recently and till this day, right? You can be the best, the most knowledgeable uh, investor in a specific market uh, that you cannot just copy paste that uh, across the board. So uh, that's great for you and the, and the Plotify team. Thank you. Now let's zoom out a bit and talk about the, the industry, the, the asset class. So uh, homes available for sale hit an all-time low last year. Uh, and this has resulted in an overflow of suburban demand and uh, single family rental operators have proven, you know, to be ready to take advantage of this. However, uh, you know, the, the single family rental market is, is still evolving into an institutional investment class, very much like multifamily did in the late 90s. But I was really surprised to see that still the majority of, of ownership uh, lies on, on mom and pops and not on institutionalized or professional investors, meaning a lot of opportunities there. But uh, in your perspective, in your thesis, why is now a good time for individuals to be investing in single family rentals? So um, you're, you're absolutely right. There's a, a ton of focus right now on single family rentals, um, institutional ownership, whilst ramping up uh, pretty aggressively is still very low. I think, you know, less than 4% of single family rentals are owned by institutions. You know, it, it, it may get to 10%, you know, in the coming years, but uh, there is still going to be very deep ownership of uh, single family rentals by individuals and, uh, you know, kind of smaller portfolio uh, owners and builders. So, uh, you know, the, the asset class is interesting for, for lots of different reasons. Uh, the first is 
there is a fundamental shortage of housing uh, in the US, very much like the UK, right? You know, population is growing, single family homes, uh, you know, coming onto the market, stock of, of it um, is has not been keeping up. Uh, it's been slowed down, uh, you know, uh, a blip with the pandemic, uh, which has caused all sorts of issues on the supply side. Um, not just, you know, how, how do you get construction workers safely to a site to build, but there have been a lot of implications on the cost of material, input materials to, to building homes. And that's, you know, put some economics out of whack as well. So, you know, there's a fundamental shortage. Um, uh, obviously, you have to uh, drill down and, and look at which markets have got uh, more shortage than others. And, and there are pockets of oversupply, but fundamentally, there is a shortage. Secondarily, the demand for single family rentals uh, has been on the rise uh, and has again been accelerated by the uh, pandemic, right? People wanting to move out of uh, apartment buildings into areas with more space and homes with more space. I don't think that's a short-term phenomenon uh, that that will continue. Um, but if you break down a single family rental, that there is a few things that investors should should really look at if they're thinking about investing into, into single family rentals. The first is that look at rental pricing versus inflation first versus what you think you're going to get on the uh, you know, on the capital value uh, and capital appreciation side. So we, we track very closely how rental pricing will grow over time right. and, and will it outperform inflation. And if you look at the historic curve of that, um, single family rentals have just continued to grow in terms of uh, rental pricing, even uh, if you look at the data through the two thousand after, after the 2008 financial crisis, uh, rental pricing kept going up, even though capital value sank. So that's an important metric to, um, uh, to really understand. Related to that, you really have to look at um, uh, tenant credit risk, which is on everybody's mind nowadays uh, with the the pandemic and and you know uh, increased delinquencies. Right. Um, so so I think that that's one of the key metrics to to look at. And single family rentals have really outperformed almost every other type of real estate uh, in the world, actually, maybe except for industrial warehouses and data centers, which are also seeing surges in demand. Uh, as well. That's correct. Yeah. And now I looking at some statistics, uh, occupancy rates across all single family rentals averaged over 95% uh, in the fourth quarter of last year, according to the US Census Bureau. And it's almost on par with multifamily with, with that just has a vacancy rate of 4.5% of in last quarter. I mean, the total market cap of single family rental sector is, is within striking distance of, of multifamily. And to your point, after after the 2008 crisis, uh, I think that's when uh, Blackstone, with uh, its uh, invitation home, started really investing in the in the sector. And now, I mean, the likes of KKR and, and Aries Management have uh, already, you know, are active in the sector, not only operating single family but also developing new supply, uh, which is driving the the build to rent asset class, which was unthinkable only a decade or so ago. Fascinating. Absolutely. Uh, we definitely need more homes, though. We have too many people and we need more homes. So uh, get to work, please, An yeah. Anish. <laughs> no, I know you don't build them. <laughs> we'll, we'll do our best. Though, yeah. 
you really have done so much with an ambitious end-to-end solution platform in a short amount of time. And looking into the next three or five years for Plotify, specifically around the barriers to global adoption and expansion, and maybe even going outside of single family rentals, what, like, where do you see, um, you know, the next five years and maybe particularly in the global space, what are the low hanging fruits that our leaders and legislators can address to start to make this accessible to people around the world? Well, you know, I, I think you're right. We, we've we, we've got a really big vision. There are, there are lots of layers to it. Um, I mean, if you think about every part of the chain of acquiring, managing, uh, and exit exiting uh, uh, real estate investments, it's complicated. There are lots of smart entrepreneurs that are solving pieces of that chain, but we haven't seen anybody that's trying to solve the entire chain on a global basis. Um, and, you know, p- part of our vision is supported by, you know, wanting to help our customers to, uh, as we said earlier, both purchase well and manage well. And I just want to link that back to the conversation with Ed just now, where um, we believe our customers who are primarily uh, individual accredited investors, but also family offices, should be able to access institutional grade end-to-end asset management uh, in this asset class, right? Which is very difficult to do on, on, on your own because again, you're dealing with lots of small fragmented assets and, and, and that's really the constraint to uh, broader institutional ownership, frankly. So, uh, but, but in the context of that, what we're actually doing for our customers is we're providing them with a, a ton of transparency and a ton of control and within that, we, we want our customers to uh, really spend their time thinking about where they should be investing and how they should be optimizing their portfolio rather than, rather than in the weeds of managing the asset and everything around it, uh, which, which we do for them. So um, extending on from that vision, one of the things that we're going to be releasing pretty soon, actually, that we're, we're super excited about is our customer data product. And, and this goes back to my Bloomberg days, can't get it out of my system. Um, uh, you know, we, we, we want to be able to provide our customers clean, hygienic, uh, actionable data and relevant data for them to make uh, the right investment decisions. And uh, we're pretty excited about sharing our data with our customers, um, which we've been building up uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, and it will be in a, a you know, uh, integrated format on our Plotify app for our customers to, uh, to use along with their portfolios. Um, so, so that's a critical part. Yeah, that, 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 that's a critical part of the, uh, the vision. As far as, um, you know, kind of global scale, we've, we've already launched assets in the US and in the UK. Uh, we have customers already in seven different countries. And that is harder than it sounds. Um, if, oh, if no. you layer, it's, it's <laughs> impressive. It's if, insane. If you, if, yeah, if you, if you layer on the, uh, you know, kind of uh, international regulatory and tax implications and financing implications for uh, global investors uh, buying assets in, in the U- US and the UK, which are perhaps uh, more friendly than, than many other markets, it's still very complicated. So, you know, for example, um, you know, h- how does a customer sitting in, in Hong Kong or Singapore or, or, or Dubai or London buying that house in Pittsburgh or, or several houses in Pittsburgh, how do they deal with tax optimization? How do they deal with leverage? How do they deal with the incredibly penal withholding taxes that the U.S. makes for 
uh, foreign investors exiting an investor. So yeah, how? <laughs> it, how it's complicated. Really? And, 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 and the answer <laughs> is you just got to, you, you got to understand number one, the economics, number two, the process, and then you got to figure out whether you can build a, a process to help your, your customers. And, uh, and actually we've done that. Um, uh, and, and it seems to be working, <laughs> which is great. Um, Amazing. So, 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 so I think um, the, the, the other, the other piece uh, to the product where uh, Jamie and, and, and talking about uh, the question of scale and low hanging fruit, what we, uh, what happened very organically on our platform uh, is that we started off you know, offering our investors uh, the benefit of our um, uh, experience, our expertise, our technology uh, to be able to, in, uh, you know, invest quickly and easily, uh, in fact, instantaneously in these single family rentals. And as we signed up customers and they started uh, investing with us, uh, some of them came to us and said, how do we hand over to you assets that we already own? And, and we've we've invested in them. Uh, you know, prior to Plotify existing, right. but we love the way um, we can see our portfolio and our, our assets in a clean way, driving better PL with our economies of scale and institutional grade services. Interesting. Let me just take a step back yeah. here because I think this is worth mentioning yeah. and pointing yeah. out. So it's not only uh, investors or accredited investors that are, have not been familiar, have had not the time or the enough money to get into real estate but also seasoned and existing real estate investors who would like to optimize, who would like to automate, who would like to streamline their management, which is, I mean, there's, there's so much opportunities out there for, for integrated you know, real estate tech companies, and especially from the management side, like we were talking about earlier. And, and the sector has just really been craving for transparency, efficiency, and most importantly, peace of mind for, for investors and, and homeowners in this uncertain times. So in, in my, according, you know, what I'm understanding is that you're really powering this, in, you know, investor peace of mind at the end of the day, Yeah. Uh, besides everything else you're doing, which is uh, impressive. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and you're right on all counts. Uh, we, we are now able to offer existing customers and new customers the ability to onboard their existing assets to, to get that peace of mind um, uh, and frankly uh, you know efficiency in, in managing uh, their entire portfolio so, so that's really exciting uh, the, the other thing that we've you know really learned um, and and again this is one of the great learnings out of um, the, the unfortunate year, year year that we've had with the, the yeah, absolutely the, the pandemic is that a couple of things actually. Um, first, how do you become an ethical investor, an ethical landlord in uh, single family rentals? And, and the reason why that became top of mind is that th there have been an increase in delinquent uh, delinquencies, tenants not paying their rent on time, and some of those are supported by uh, government programs. Um, but it does have an impact to investors and landlords that are in particular playing in uh, type of assets or investing in the type of assets that have tenants that have unfortunately uh, been laid off. Um, and, and the learning was really interesting from, from uh, our perspective. The first learning is that our customers uh, who are investors really uh, do want to be ethical landlords and ethical investors. And Secondarily, what we learned just going back to describing how we operate, uh, how we use data to, to operate this uh, kind of reserve fund and smooth out volatility, that, pr that predictability allows us to manage 
situations in individual assets where there, there may be issues with the tenant in a much more ethical and pragmatic way and not in a knee-jerk uh, reaction of how do I get the tenant out and uh, a new one in so I can get back on track with my economics around um, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the asset that I've invested in. Um, and, and, and the learning has been that being an ethical landlord or investor is, is not at odds with uh, being a good investor. Um, uh, yeah, and, and, the incentives um, are not aligned, and you're aligning the incentives. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 you know, I I think that that is thematically going to continue, even as we get through the pandemic and and things normalize. Um, and uh, uh, pretty excited about uh, uh, being able to uh, to implement that as well. Uh, I think that's that goes to the core of of the relationships that exist in real estate and the push and shove. And you know, not everything has been. Like everything, everyone, every stakeholder has played its part and, and they've played with the existing rules and the existing incentives. But now the, the pandemic has really triggered this kind of, you know, a lot of renters cannot afford it. Uh, now a lot of landlords still have to pay for their bills, right? So there's been, you know, uh, at the end of the day, we're all, we're all in this together without trying to sound too kumbaya. Uh, and, no, you're and, absolutely right. And yeah. even the... The word landlord, I mean, it, it, I, I hate having to bring this up, but, and, and I'm not one of those that is like calling Trader Joe's uh, racist if they label a Latin food Trader Jose, but the word landlord does come from, if I'm not mistaken, Lord of the Manor, from a feudal system that we had, and we just inherited it, right? I'm not saying that the, the word landlord is, is causing all the stir, but you know, we could probably use investor. I like investor. We're all, you know, every landlord is an investor and, and that it, it represents more the, the process, the day-to-day -day process that they have to go through. I, I agree with you, Ed. I think, um, you know, we use it, I use it because it's understandable, but it's probably time to move on from from uh, that history uh, and the context of, of it. And um, I, I like what you said about um, the, the tenant is a meaningful stakeholder uh, in, in fact, uh, maybe the most important stakeholder in, in the whole equation, because uh, it's, it's where the cash flows come from, from an investor standpoint. But equally, I think it's incumbent on every investor to, uh, to make sure they are you know, delivering better conditions for their uh, tenants. And that then extends to, to all stakeholders in the chain. Yeah, yeah. And now that I think of it, I mean, if something we we do well in the United States is that the, the consumer is always right, or, or we give the benefit of the doubt, except when they're a tenant. And, and I understand it's, a, it's, it's not the same as ordering a, a, an expired banana from Amazon and just getting refunded. But still, like we, we have to kind of implement that spirit and, and give people more the benefit of the doubt without letting yourself take advantage of, obviously. Uh, and I think that Absolutely. will come with increased transparency, increased trust, and, and you know, Plotify and, and your team is enabling that, certainly. So we're, we're wrapping up here. And, and in our last uh, question of every episode, we like to ask guests to get out of their comfort zone a little bit and join us in the discomfort zone segment. Okay. And we kind of believe, <laughs> we, we really believe in the spirit of um, a adapting your mindset in the presence of new realities and information in our ever-changing world, and that that's the key to all of our success as a species. So right now, we'd like to challenge you to share an idea or a belief that you've recently rethought
thought for the better and share with us what you've learned? Wow, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think uh, the ethical investor piece was, was certainly the biggest thing that I've learned. But uh, outside of that, one of the things that I've been really thinking about is broader participation uh, in farming. You know, I, I think if you just uh, look back, not just through uh, the, the last 12, uh, 18 months, but as economies develop, they move from agrarian economies to manufacturing economies and then to service economies. And what we lose along the way is um, the connection back to uh, the roots. And, and obviously, from a consumer standpoint, um, the world has been moving towards connecting back to nature and connecting back to, to, to the roots of food. But I, I still feel that that connection is, is not uh, as broad and deep as it should be. It, it's, it's limited uh, and it's limited by our, our, the way we live our lives. Um, but I think that uh, we can use technology, you know, maybe like Plotify and, and, and others like us, to provide real connection back to uh, uh, to our roots in in uh, in farming, and I think I, I see the more more I talk to people, the more I see them craving uh, you know that that kind of uh, content. And then related to that, you know, I think um, uh, the future of food is something that I, I I think about quite a lot. Food and beverage is a, another sector, and food tech is a sector that I'm also invested in. And uh, you know, th there are some really amazing, wonderful uh, technologies coming out, which will um, uh, support both the environment and our health as a uh, as a race, uh, a human race um, uh, in in the coming generations. Um, uh, and I'm pretty excited about those. So I think those are the things that I've been really thinking about. And the pandemic has kind of accelerated the you know the need for some of these things. I feel. Yeah, I see maybe some overlap in the food and tech space and the, you know, democratizing real estate. You're sort of trying to make the whole, you know, greater than the sum of its parts and ensure that everyone has, um, I don't know, there's a cyclical nature to both of these things that we're all helping each other. Yeah, you know, no, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I secretly dream uh, that, that one day we might be able to offer pieces of uh, uh, actual farms for ownership on on Plotify that are yielding uh, crops and, and, and they could be anywhere in the world, but they could be local also. And uh, you know, I think that would be pretty exciting. As a, as a next asset class rather than move into, I'm sure we could move into multifamily and commercial real estate, but uh, to, to me, backward integrating sounds a lot more exciting. <laughs> from a, from a, you know, humble uh, real estate investor myself, I would love to be diversified in uh, industrial and uh, single family homes or in farming and single family homes. So uh, yes, I'm uh, you, you have my, my humble vote. I'm an amateur gardener, oh, so go. I'll take a small part of with some vegetables or something. <laughs> you have your property manager right here, your farm manager. <laughs> Anish, last but not least, where can our listeners find you and Plotify and learn more? Uh, you can connect with us uh, on typical social channels, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, and um, feel free to reach out to me and connect with me. LinkedIn is, is, is where I'm most active and, and you can always uh, request getting access to Plotify on our, our, on our website. Definitely. We'll make sure to include a link on that on the description. Anish, thank you once again for being here with us today. Very impressive work uh, you and Plotify team are you know, doing and bringing the benefits of uh, investing in, in single family homes and just alleviating the entire process. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Jamie. It was great thank to you. be with you. Uh, a big shout out to, uh, uh, to the rest of the 
Team Plotify, uh, without whom uh, none of this would be possible. Teamwork makes the dream work and uh, real estate, we got to collaborate more than ever. Absolutely. Thank you, Anish. Thank you for having me. Thank you again. That's it for today. If you like what you heard, please share this podcast with a friend. Thanks for listening to Tangent. And remember, collaboration is our superpower as a species. So stay curious and always be learning.